You're listening to Bexer in the Morning, hosted by Spotify. Hello, Americans. This is Jeb Bexer, broadcasting live from Satellite 2. It was an evening I shared with the sun Good morning, folks. This is Jet Bexer coming to you live from 2095 from the comfy confines of Studio 1A. It is the 28th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Let's bring up my notes. We'll make a little bit of noise. It is indeed the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And today's readings at Mass are come from Isaiah. The psalm will be number 23. I shall live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The second reading is from St. Paul to the Philippians. He continues. And I love the way Paul, uh, St. Paul begins many of his letters, not just to the Philippians. He'll begin it as brothers and sisters. I love this opening. And yes, he, he says, I know how to, he, he goes on to say to Philippians in the second reading, I know how to live humbly and in abundance, but I know a secret. I can do all these things in him. My God will fully supply whatever you need in accord with his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a beautiful letter. And we'll hear more of it when you go to Mass. Yes, this is pre-recorded. We have a big weekend this weekend. And I say we, I, I mean me, the, our CEO, and Pollux is staying on satellite too this time. But yeah, we're going down to Texas again in 2023 to go to a new town, to a new festival called the Steak, Stein, and Wine Festival in Cameron, Texas. So that's where our CEO will be with his table set up in his purple canopy. And in a long, brutal stretch, I, I hope the I believe the weather's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be sunny in the 70s. He's going to be out at this Steak, Stein, and Wine Festival from 10 until 10. A 12-hour stretch where he hopes to meet a lot of people. And that's the favorite thing for our CEO to do is to get out and be in the public like he was last weekend with Izzy up in Cleburne, where they did well. Uh, met some really nice folks, including the two young ladies next to them uh, that were selling, you know, things that have been scented with, you know, different odors, you know, different scents, not odors, but scents, you know, that smell nice. So uh, many thanks uh, to, I believe it was Carla and Audrey, of a of independent business there on Main Street, and they had a tent set up there at the Wine and Artisan Festival in Cleburne, and 
very nice people, uh, good Christian people. You know, the whole town of Cleveland is very, very friendly, mostly Christian, you know, predominantly Christian. And so you, you feel welcome. And <laughs> our CEO and Izzy showed up five minutes before it's supposed to start, five minutes before 12 noon. And they were just running late the whole morning. But you know what? Five high school guys, all dressed in matching shirts, you know, that go that went with the festival. They are so organized. And they immediately started helping our CEO unload the car. And by the time he shows up, you know, dragging himself, you know, he's not feeling too good. He he had a rough morning. And when he walks up to the space that they are that they're set up both supposed to set up, the canopy, the tent is already set up. Those five guys look like football players had moved most of their things, including the weights. You know, that's 40 pounds per leg. That's 160 pounds that they just lugged over there like it was nothing, including all the boxes. And Izzy just had to carry a few things. And all they had to do was set up. I mean, the, the canopy was there. It was standing up tall. And, you know, all they did was had to spread out the weights on each leg and then, you know, unfold the tables. And each young man was so humble you know, we even offered them, you know, take some free loaves of bread that Izzy made with her mother. And they're like, no, sir, we can't accept that. We're happy to do it. So hats off to Cleveland, Texas for putting on a heck of a show. Uh, the music, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's when you're in a town in Texas and that's all they like is country, you just have to grin and bear it. But it was fine. We made some good sales. Not as good as last year, but, you know, it's not about you know, the money you make, it's about the friendships and uh, the connections you make with the public. And that's the reason he's doing this. He'll be in Cameron this Saturday, you know, and, and he'll do the 28th Sunday in Cameron, in which he did. And we have to bring this up before we get to the Gospel of Matthew. We must bring this up. The CEO went to Mass. His family came down from Dallas. How about that? His mother and father and his sister all made the trip and came to the festival, walked around. Even his 91-year-old father walked around the entire square looking at all the different arts and crafts. And I don't think they sampled any wine. I'm pretty certain that they brought their own <laughs> and uh, drank some wine there at the, you know, the hotel as they waited for them to get done that evening. And his sister helped him pack up and at 7 o'clock and grabbed a bite to eat at the old, the world-famous Dairy Queen <laughs> of Cleveland, Texas, and then went back to the hotel and had a, you know, had a nice conversation uh, with the family there. And then the next morning, they got up, had breakfast together. Oh, it was crowded in the hotel. They didn't even know. They thought the hotel was empty. No, sir. <laughs> it was not empty. And, uh, the breakfast lobby was full, so his parents actually got the coffee table out in the middle of the lobby, you know, away from the breakfast room itself, and, you know, we just dragged, I say we, our CEO, they all dragged the furniture around the coffee table, and they had breakfast right there. And then later on that morning, you know, after another good conversation uh, in the hotel room, just waiting around for math, math started at 11 a.m., and little did the CEO know that 
they were going to a Spanish mass. So, yeah, in this parish, it was called St. Joseph. And it just happened to be the 50th anniversary of his of Hispanic culture at this parish of St. Joseph. And so, yeah, the, I believe the 11 a.m. Mass normally would be in English. But uh, I think the afternoon Mass is where they do have an, a Spanish Mass. And, you know, 8.30 and 11 were English. But this time they made an exception because they wanted to get the party started after noon. <clears throat> Let me grab a swig of water here. And we noticed the decorations as we walked in. There's a nice little courtyard. Yeah, and this is the CEO talking. I just kicked Bexer out of the chair. He, he's like, you, you weren't even there. Let me tell this story. Yeah, when we walked into the courtyard, you could see the streamers and the colorful flyers uh, where, the, where the parish activity center was. And in the middle of the courtyard was good old St. Joseph holding the baby Jesus. It was a beautiful statue. I, didn't, I don't even think I got a picture of it. But we walked in, and the choir was warming up. And when you see an accordion in the choir, <laughs> you know, and guitar, and even had a bass guitar. And this was a small church with full capacity, maybe 50 people. That's how small it was. But when you see an accordion, you know you're in for a Spanish mass. <laughs> and we were. So let me get some water, making some noise. Yeah, we're getting an early start today. Like we said, 3.33 a.m. when we opened the studio. And that, that reminds us of something that we're going to discuss in the second segment about angel numbers. 3.33, that does definitely have a meaning in the, uh, the world of numerology. But anyway, yeah, the Mass was beautiful. Yeah, the homily, you know, when you were, hear a Spanish homily, don't let a priest get going, but he, we let him get going. <laughs> And he went on for a good 30, 35 minutes of speaking in Spanish. And, you know, I picked up some of it. I, I knew what the, the readings were ahead of time because I reviewed them for the show. And so I knew he was talking about the parable of the landowner who leased his land. So when he said in Spanish, you know, I can't translate it now, but what he meant was, uh, yeah, when, when you think about... Uh, what goes on in this story about the leased land, you shouldn't be worrying about me. You should be worrying about you. And that's what I picked up from the homily from the priest, the, the, par the priest, let me turn this off, from the priest who was a very eloquent, eloquent speaker, you know, given that he was speaking in Spanish. And the music in this mass, when it got to the prayers and the songs that, Everyone knew the whole church was singing and loud, and it was beautiful. I wish I had a recording of it, and especially when we sang the Our Father. And we're going to talk about that on this episode as well, because that is uh, today's Word to the Wise from Father Richard with his RB Words, uh, being what today is, uh, he, he discusses uh, the Apostle Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to get to all that. We've already gone through 10 minutes, but we're going to finish with uh, the Gospel of Matthew before inter intermission. And uh, Jesus is still talking to the par in talking in parables to the chief priests and elders, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. 
And so we go through the, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the whole gospel because you'll, you'll hear it on Sunday. Tell all the servants my banquet is ready. They refused to come. Some just left and some were mistreated and killed. Then he said, go out and find just folks in the street and good and bad alike. And soon, you know, with just people, strangers, the hall has filled for this banquet. But when the king enters, he immediately sees a man not dressed in a wedding garment, meaning he stood out. Exactly. Exactly. He, he stood out. <clears throat> There's a burp. He said to the man who, who's not in, dressed in a wedding garment, he said, oh, I'm burping again. He said, why are you not dressed for my feast? The dude couldn't say anything. He knew he was about to be 86 out the door on his butt. But yeah, he knew he was going to be thrown out. And where, and I quote now again, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Yeah, that phrase always gets me when I hear it in the gospel, because that's most certainly what I don't want to happen want to happen to me when I die, where there'll be wailing and grinding of teeth. I don't want to be sent there. So the, the theme to the gospel is many are invited, but few are chosen. So what Jesus is saying, always be ready for the feast, for you know not when you will be invited. So that is the Gospel of Matthew that we'll hear this Sunday in the 28th Sunday of Ordinary Time. And now we'll uh, take a break as we are way over time already. So thank you for joining and we'll be back with Bexer in the morning right after these words. We're back. Let me get the timer started. Pollock's just walking in and he looks kind of tired. What's the matter with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking care of the timer. You know, it took me a while to figure out this futuristic 2095 timer, but now I've got it. I just hit this button and voila, we're counting down. Yeah, we have a lot to talk about what's going on in 2023 and it's brutal. Israel. Yes, some horrible things are going on in Israel right now with a surprise attack from Hamas last Saturday. And it was a vicious attack, to say the least. The atrocities that I've been reading about. Then again, this again, I am the CEO, Keith R. Reese. And yes, I'm talking about this. I didn't want Bexer to go into this. This is my responsibility. This is my show. There have been atrocities that I've read about I, I don't even want to speak about on this show. 
But Israel, of course, is fighting back. Let's just, what can we do as Americans, as I put on my show prep notes? What can we do as Americans? Some Americans have already died that were over there. Many are still there, of course. What can we do as Americans? Pray. That's, that's all I can say right now. Pray that this violence ends in the Holy Land, in Palestine, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank. And yes, uh, Catholic boots are on the ground. You know, the, the charities that are always in the Middle East, especially the Middle East. Yes, go ahead and donate if you can. I know it's rough for Americans right now in 2023. <clears throat> Let me get some water. One moment. I beg your pardon. If you can help at all, we, we know it's tough right now in 2023. It's even tough for me. I've been recklessly spending when I shouldn't be. And you know, yeah, I've been making donations, and I, I made some more donations in Cleveland that I can donate to the cause. And yes, it was only $30, but we still have Cameron to go and spare Birdie in a couple weeks. So October, I am hoping to have a good haul that I can donate. And uh, I won't be keeping any of it, you know, that goes the sales for eight days in Maui and the Lunas, it's going to be donated as I've, you know, that's what Mom Charities is all about. M-O-M, Miracle of Maui Charities. That's what it's all about. Not just natural disasters, but times of war and shock. We need to pray and we need to pray some more that this violence ends and continue to pray for peace. And the atrocities that we're witnessing over there in Israel and Palestine, they're, they're unspeakable, but they are human beings too on both sides. As hard as it is to pray for someone you disagree with, like the Palestinians, we have to pray for all human beings because we are all God's children. And forgiveness is a very tough thing right now. But that's what Jesus Christ is all about. West Maui is now ready for tourism on the west side as of October 8th. That's a big step forward in the tourism industry, particularly for West Maui where Lahaina is located. So continue to pray for them as all always, you know. I, like I said, I only made 30 bucks in Cleveland on donations, but Maui is already forgotten here in the lower 48. But Mom Charities, the Miracle of Maui Charities, has not forgotten Maui. So we'll continue to pray for them and make donations when we can. But good for them. They're, they're getting back to tourism on the west side. And uh, it's that that's their lifeblood, and they need it. You know, yes, tourism, tourist, when they make the drive from the valley to West Maui, yes, they're going to have to drive by what's not there anymore at Lahaina, the ruins left behind. And it will be hard to see, but, you know, there is a bypass, so I think they'll be directing traffic, you know, particularly on the bypass, you know, so you won't see too much of Lahaina. They don't want anybody going over there anyway. 
But I think there will be some people that will want to see the church, Maria Lanaquila. I would if, if I were able to go there. But if I were to go to Maui, I, I wouldn't be you know relaxing and having a good time. I'd be volunteering wherever I could. But anyway, yeah, they're getting back to tourism on West Maui. How much time do we have? Yeah, by the way, the music that you heard... Now, I'll get back to the last point about Hawaii, but the music you've been hearing this morning is from a band from the 1990s called Live. They're best known for their song Lightning Crashes from the album, their debut album, which was phenomenal. It was called Throwing Copper. Yeah, Lightning Crashes is about one of the members of the band. I, I believe it's about his wife passing away in childbirth. Yeah, it's one of their most you know, popular and famous songs, Lightning Crashes. But the song you've been hearing this morning is from their second album called Secret Samadhi from 1997, and that song is called Lakini's Juice. And what it's about, I, I think it's about a, something drug-related. Somebody may have, may have, may have had an overdose. Yeah, these guys that become musicians and write lyrics, you know, they go through some tough times. Green Day... I'm sure they have some stories they could tell before they made it famous, when they got famous, before they made it big. Everclear the same way. A lot of them have similar stories. Let me get some more water. We're almost done here. Water time. Jet played golf again. Yeah, and our CEO played golf too. I mean, not on the moon, but Jet loves to play on the moon. But our CEO went to Hancock Golf Course yesterday after work and uh, hadn't played there. And, of course, you know, everything is measured in 10 years right now. But So it's probably been 10 or 11 years at least since he last played at Hancock, which is the old Austin Country Club, going back, gosh, maybe 100 years. <laughs> maybe not that far, but... It is the oldest golf course in Austin. It's nine holes. And he used to know uh, an African-American man who was just friendly as all get out. And I still cannot remember his name. But uh, he worked in the pro shop for many, many years. And he just called me Reese like everybody else. And uh, played at Hancock, you know, hundreds of times. And what happens, you know, now they don't have a pro shop and you can just pay at a kiosk at the first hole. And, you know, you're kind of on the honor system. You get your ticket after you pay for your round of golf. $18 for nine or whatever you want to play. 18 as many holes you can play. That's the way it's always been. You pay one green fee and play as many holes as you want in one, cal you know, 24-hour day. Here I am needing, I'm going to just hold the water in my hand. <laughs> And I know the clock's about to, to, to chime. We've got a minute 50. But yeah, he, he, I played yesterday, and they've changed everything around. The holes are exactly the same, but they've changed it around. You start on number six. The sixth hole is now the first hole, which really throws me off and will forever confuse me. The first hole is now, oh, I can't even say it. Maybe the fifth hole. <laughs> the ninth hole is now like the fourth hole. It's very confusing. And the par five second is the sixth. Let's see if I'm getting this right. And then the par three is the seventh. No, yeah, the par three is the eighth. So I'm, I'm a little off in my numbering. But yeah, Hancock's still there, but it's just confusing as hell the way they start you on the sixth hole. 
And lo and behold, one of the students, you know, it's it's very close to UT, and our CEO noticed when he was on the third hole, which is actually number seven. I'm sorry, the second hole, which is number seven. He noticed a young lady teeing off on the first hole by herself and had a phenomenal swing and just smacked one right down the middle of the fairway of the sixth, which is her first. And he was impressed. You know, he doesn't see too many women playing golf, much less ripping the ball down the middle. So he gets to the ninth hole, which is, let's see, one, two, three. It's the fourth hole now. But to the CEO, it's the ninth. And it's the only hole that has like a little pond right in front of the green. And so it's a challenging hole that you can drive. So if you hit a perfect, you know, let's turn this off. If you hit a perfect drive on the ninth, which is now the fourth, uh, if you hit the hill just right, you can roll your ball into the green. Maybe you can make a hole in one if you're lucky. And uh, I have, you know, this is Keith Ray's talking. I have driven that green and come close to making a hole in one on a par four. <laughs> That's how fun this course is. And I was taking a lot of mulligans and I just duffed one off the tee and then shanked one into the woods. And then a third time was the charm. And I smacked it right down the middle. I said, if this catches that hill, we're, we're going to be on the green. And it didn't. It went right into the pond. <laughs> And uh, I'm still having a good time playing golf, you know, after sitting out for 10 years. And I'm noticing this young lady laps the guys in front of her. She goes, she plays through the threesome that was in front of her, and she's hot on my tail. And I'm going, she's going to catch up to me in, on the first hole, which is now the fifth hole. And she did. There was three guys in front of us, and she caught up to me, and she was extremely shy didn't really want to talk to anybody. Had her, you know, like most young people these days, had ear AirPods in her ears and listening to music while she's playing a, you know, a very relaxing round of golf. And uh, I said, "You want to go ahead and tee off?" I, I had just hit mine and I, you know, thinned it and ended up short of the green on the par three, which is now the fifth hole, but normally to me is the first hole over a big ditch. I made it across the ditch, but I didn't hit it on the green. And she was reluctant, but she said, okay, I'll go ahead and hit. And she bombs one, uses the wrong club, and hits a perfect shot, but way over the green. And we finish the hole, and we get to the second hole, which is the only par five. And you know now it's the sixth hole. And uh, she didn't want to have anything to do with me, so she stood by the ladies' tee waiting for the three yokels that were in front of us. And, you know, only 50 yards in front of us, so we had a ways to wait. And I walked over to her and introduced myself, and she <laughs> has to take her earbuds out, and i got to talk to this old man, this old geezer. And I introduced myself, and her name was Ava. Freshman at UT, and finally got comfortable enough to talk to me because I said, you know, you can go ahead and play by yourself, but these guys are really slow. It might be better if we just pair up and be a twosome. And she finally relented. She said, yeah, probably for the best. There's only four holes left. So we did. We joined up at number two, which is now number six. The par five, and we played the remaining 
four holes together, so I got to know her a little bit. Freshman from Waxahachie, just south of Dallas, and uh, she said she played on the golf team, I guess at Waxahachie High, all four years. And I said, you got a fantastic swing. You're a great player. She said, oh, I'm not that good. I said, yes, you are. I said, you should be on the team at UT. She said, I'm definitely not that good. I said, well, just keep at it. You know, it's it's fun now. You're not playing com competitive golf. You're just playing for fun. And you've got a great swing. And she birdied that par five. She most certainly did. Now, I, I beg your pardon. She parted. But after hitting a fantastic, she had to punch out just like I did. I had to punch out from this darn tree. But once she did, she was in the middle of the fairway, close to where I was, and you have to go over this ditch and up the hill. It's a it's a tough par five. And she hit this perfect seven or eight iron, I don't know what she used, within, you know, fifteen feet of the hole, and I was way off the green. You know, I, I didn't hit any greens the whole day. You know, I, I don't even know what I shot. A lot of bogeys and double bogeys. I think I parred two holes. But she ended up making a six, you know, after having to punch out on from the fairway to the fairway. But on the next hole, which was par five dog leg to the right, to me it's the third hole, but it's now the seventh. And we both hit good drives into the fairway. I'm going, this is fun. I, I rarely play golf with a woman. Never mind she was 18, 19, or 20. But she was good. And uh, I shanked mine to the right. I had to yell for it to some guy that walked right into my way, right as, on my backswing. That kind of affected me. But she stepped up and hit her second shot, and boom, right on the green. And she had a downhill putt for about 12 feet, and she nailed it. She birdied that hole, and I bogeyed it, maybe even doubled it. <laughs> and then we went on to the next hole, par three, and she bombs another one. <laughs> it just happens to bounce off the concrete path, the cart path. And mine was short, and I, I did par that hole, but, you know, she just had a great shot. She's just using the wrong club. And so I, I suggest as we get to the ninth hole, which to me is the fifth hole, I said, uh, we should play again. I have a daughter who's on the high school team, and she could she could use a lot of pointers from you, and she could learn a lot. Y'all could be friends. And she's like, sure. You know, she seemed reluctant, but she said yes. And so in the parking lot when we got down, I gave her my name and phone number and my daughter's name. I said, uh, if you ever want to play again, you're new here to Austin uh, shoot me a text and we'll go play at one of these blue-collar courses that aren't too expensive. <laughs> and she said, okay, but, you know, she, I think she was just humoring me, but probably won't see Ava again, but it was a pleasure playing with the young lady. And good luck with the uh, pre-med, and she's going to be a doctor. Heck yeah. She's in pre-med as an undergrad and wants to be a doctor in neurosciences. Doesn't know exactly what yet, but she wants to be a doctor. So good luck to Ava, and keep up uh, the good work on the course, too. you got a heck of a swing. So, yeah, what, what's the last part about Hawaii? We're way over time, but we'll talk about it. My publisher in Hawaii has done two of my books. They published, this is Savant Books and Publications we're talking about. They have published 
in 2018, One Night in Bangkok, which is part one of the One Night Trilogy. And just recently, this spring, Hot Night in Budapest, which is part two. Yes, it's a trilogy, and part three has been done since 2016 when I wrote this trilogy. But unfortunately, Hot Night in Budapest is dead on arrival. It's DOA. I think it's sold maybe three copies. And that includes two that I've sold in person, or maybe just one in person, of the five free copies that they sent me at Complimentary. I think it sold two copies online. And that's it. Three copies sold. I gave a couple of them away to family and friends. I still have one left, in, actually two left in my possession of the five that they gave me. So it is not selling. And the reason being is because readers, the public, want instant gratification. They want the whole trilogy to be there in order for them to even consider buying the first one. Now that would be the only way I would buy more copies of the paperback of One Night in Bangkok from the publisher at, you know, a discount, but it's a pretty expensive discount when you think about author prices on Amazon. So yeah, they're, they're only giving me 50% off when I buy author copies. That's expensive when the book is listed at 17. So I have not been buying any copies to enrich the publisher. They're getting all my royalties. I get like 1% for paperbacks and maybe five, maybe ten for ebooks. So yeah, I'm not making anything off my own work. They are, but not me. <clears throat> so I, I'm going to get some more water, and we'll wrap this up. The publisher is in Honolulu on the, uh, the island of Oahu, and uh, it has been it has changed hands since 2018, and so the new owner, who is also an independent filmmaker. His name is Kendrick Simmons. I know him. We've spoken on the phone, and we've emailed several times. He congratulated me on the release of Hot Night in Budapest, and even gave me some really good advice on Eight Days on Maui, which he expressed to me personally. He said, I know that's an independent published novel, independently published novel. I'm very interested in it. And I think he was just humoring me. And I thought maybe he really wanted to turn it into a screenplay and maybe do it a, a, a made-for-TV movie, which is what he does. He makes movies for TV. And I've seen them. He's about to release his second one. The first one was called... The first one was called... Static. And it starred the former publisher that he bought the company from, Daniel Jenick. Daniel's a friend of mine. Of course, he's my old publisher, and he's the star of the show of Static. And Daniel has since made his own movie with his wife, Setsuko. I think it's called The Winnowing. I watched that one, too. And I didn't expect too much of going into this independent film, but wow. Daniel did a good job, but Setsuko was amazing in this two-person independent film. And he claims that they're winning, you're getting nominated for all these independent film awards, and they're winning. So he has plans, Daniel Janik, he has plans all, already to make a second film. He announced it on Facebook the other day. But Kendrick, to back up Static, 
he's now working on a, you know, from material that he bought from savant books and publications from one of the other authors from the same company that I, that I work for. I think his name is William Maltese. That's the author's name. He, he wrote a story called Finding Kate, and it's a police story, a mystery. I think she's like a private detective or something, a cop. I don't know. But Finding Kate is wrapping up, and it'll be on TV soon in Hawaii, and then he'll spread it out independently to the lower 48. Finding Kate. Static is an interesting watch in itself. It's more like a a documentary about uh, the thing that what happens to people when they get old. They get uh, they lose their memory. What am I thinking about? They don't know who they are. They don't know who their family is. I'll think of it. That's what Static is about. Uh, Alzheimer's disease. And uh, Daniel plays the lead character in Static, and it plays more like a an hour-long documentary that's acted out. It's not narrated, it's acted out. And it's an interesting way of presenting a film. And it was also nominated for independent awards. Even though, you know, it's on the, it's not on a grand scale, not on a big budget amateur actors and the actors are doing the best they can so you know mr simmons is doing the best he can in a in a business and in a craft that he loves he's doing what he loves and he has the money to back it up and fund it so yeah he's just becoming a filmmaker and starting where most filmmakers start and he owns the company now savant books and publications and along with his media company but I had to send him an email and ask Mr. Simmons if I could be released from the clause in my contract that says they get the right of first refusal on any sequels. So in order to get the third part, which is called, of the One Night Trilogy, which is called Last Night in the Big Easy, the whole third part takes place in New Orleans in 2005, which is the character's present time and if you can only guess what happened in new orleans in 2005 it is the last night before the arrival of katrina exactly that's how the trilogy ends that's how it gets wrapped up and i think readers deserve to hear the rest of the story as paul harvey would say now i'm way over time and i haven't heard from mr simmons but I will, and hopefully he will let me out of that part of my contract that I can independently publish The Last Night in the Big Easy. Last Night in the Big Easy, that's what it's called, and do it myself. And Daniel, you know, he'll help me get it added to the series so that all three books will be there on Amazon. And that way it'll start selling. I mean, I know how to market ebooks and start getting interest and you know I'll sell all three books in person and that way they'll start getting royalties they won't be getting royalties on the third book but by golly if the trilogy starts to sell they'll be getting money really good money from the first two and so I don't see how Mr. Kendrick Simmons can say no 
but he can say, no, it's his company. So we'll just see about it. We'll pray on it. And I would like to get that book out there. I'm way over time. I'm going to be done recording for the week right now. We'll edit this and have it ready for Sunday. Everyone have a great weekend. Pray for Israel and for Palestine, the Palestinians, that this violence will end. Thank you for tuning in to Bexer in the Morning. For Jet Bexer, I am Keith R. Reese. Thank you for listening, and good day, folks. Bexer in the Morning is brought to you by our friends at Spotify, hosted and produced by Keith R. Reese and a product of Reese Podcasting, a division of K.R. Reese Enterprises. Thank you for listening.